Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the only podcast that is split a party with its dance moves. I am Cami Black and this week we are going to be looking ahead to the France game at the weekend. Um, if you want to go to the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, you'll find our match report on the Edinburgh game. Um, if you're listening to this now, you know we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and other podcast apps. Please leave us a review if you can. You can check out the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, for the latest news, views and match reports. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter, at scottrugbyblog or at Black, and we're on Facebook and Instagram, and you can email us at podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We've had um, a crap call off this week uh, from Mark Howie on Twitter, who got in touch to say that, um, and he's naming and shaming uh, Mark, so um, I make no apologies for this, blame Mark, uh, Jack Fisher, called off apparently with a bruised toe, um, and asked for physio clarification on what to say to the coaches in case he got shouted at um, and Mark very kindly sent me a picture of Jack being treated with some magic spray by the physio um, crap call offs if you want to get involved in that send us a tweet um, email whatever just what we're looking for is the rubbish excuses that you've heard uh, either currently or in the past from teammates um, about why they haven't been able to make training or uh, any games uh, this week we're joined by uh, Ithke David, uh, journalist with AFP Sport in Paris. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Cammy. Um It's your first time on the podcast, so we have to ask you what club socks you would wear if you were selected for the Barbarians. Ah, oh, it's quite an easy option for me, really. It would be with my home club in Cardiff, Club Rugby, Cymru, Cardiff. I've played for them since I was... Uh, seven years old, my mum took me down because she wanted me to play down there. My dad coached me for a bit as well. Uh, they've got a big few weeks coming up, uh, both in the league and also they're playing in the Welsh Bowl quarterfinal against Nantucaradig at the start of March. So public to them, and yeah, I'd, I'd wear, I'd proudly wear club rugby company Cadiz socks. So does because my my local club Berwicker and they've just won the Border Shield, which is sort of the lower level shield they're going off to play sort of semi what a game before sort of one game before Murrayfield does it work the same in Wales then that they, they sort of play the ball and then potentially end up at some sort of finals day yeah yeah so they um they hold it at um the Prince Party Stadium and um they have like the bowl then you've got the plate then you've got the cup I think um and yeah it's a it's a big day out and my club won it I think it was in 2014 so it'd be quite cool if we could replicate that yeah. So, what position did you, what what position did you play back in the day? Oh, I tried to play fly half. I was the slowest fly half <laughs> anyone has ever seen. Um, I got through it somehow. Yeah. So, um, you, you're in uh, France now, um, and you were at the um, team announcement this morning. Um, I saw on your Twitter that they they had pastries on offer. It looked a bit bit overdone by French standards. <laughs> Yeah, it was at um, France's natural, National Rugby Training Centre in Marcoussi, which is about a half an hour, 45 minutes to the south of Paris, near, near Orly Airport. And um, yeah, fair play to them. Every time there's a there's an early press conference, they put, a, they put on a few pastries. And this morning, yeah, they put on a lot of pastries. They put croissants, some um, pan au raisins, so like danishes, but they forgot the pan au chocolat. But normally, they're the highlights. So it was a bit gutted that they, <laughs> they'd forgotten the pan au chocolat. But I'll forgive them. Do you think that's going to be reflected in in the reporting tomorrow? Massively, definitely. <laughs> without, without a shadow of doubt. It's it's a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, they've they've gone early, 
It was there any reason behind given for for the reason for going so early with the team announcement? Yeah. So um, it was a bit of we got the email on Monday saying that the the week had changed the order of the week had changed due to the players and the coaching staff meeting and saying they wanted things to be different. So we turned up this morning um, on Tuesday and they were they said yeah it's going to be a little bit different. Um, first of all, it is moving it to Tuesday as opposed to a forty hours before so that was normally a Thursday um, and yeah you had the press conference as normal the team was released very close to the time that Jacques Brunel walked into the press conference so that was quite tight and manic to get that out but we got there in the end um, and then yeah so the, it was the players decision mainly than the, rather than the coaches because from what Jefferson Poirot the prop said today that they didn't want to risk the team getting leaked or they didn't want to risk the speculation that comes around from leaving the team to ling- the team announcement to linger later on in the week so then people speculating it can affect the way they prepare, etc. etc. So yeah, it's it's a tactical decision and for some reason I think it might play into the hands of the Scots because they've got the, the, they know the the, the first forty hours before they thought they they would and they've got 48 more hours to prepare. Yeah, it was quite interesting that Scotland, soon after this, the France announcement, announced that Finn Russell was returning to Paris, and I did wonder whether or not they might have delayed that announcement till the day of the team announcement, almost in a way they're sort of like, well, we don't need to keep that under wraps anymore. <laughs> yeah, they could have very much usually waited until about Thursday afternoon to say, oh yeah, sorry, Finn Russell's unavailable this weekend. Yeah, but they... they they published it on Tuesday and fair play to him. It's a massive shame that he's not playing because he's in superb form for Racing 92. And, and yeah, it's kind of his, his second home now. And it would have been great to see him and Greg Laidlaw both based in the top 14 coming up against France on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there about the, the French players making some of the decisions. Um, is that the sense now within the France, the, 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 the French camp, that, 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 it's a, that the players are, are much more involved Involved now rather than it being sort of Jacques Brunel picking the side and, and in charge. Are you trying to say there's, pop, there's, pop, there's possibly a revolt on the cards? Well, yeah, it just seemed that there was another. I, I <laughs> sort of saw today there was a lot of the players were saying, you know, we've we, we've formed this leadership group. Um, and then, you know, that that's come out of, I suppose, uh, compared to where we were two weeks ago, where what Vahamina was saying, I was on the pitch and I didn't even know I was captain. It seems it seems we've we've come quite a long way um, in in quite a, that, that team's come quite a long way in quite a short period of time. <laughs> yeah, so this this leadership group hasn't actually been um, introduced just this week. It was um, established back in November, but it was as the French press officer said uh, on Tuesday, it's been formalised this week. So I don't know what the difference between that as and, and being introduced is. But there's an eight man, there's an eight player, eight players in that group, and they kind of like a middle group between the coaching staff and the 31 um, strong squad that France have got that Brunel's picked and has got at, at his disposal. Um, I wouldn't say that the players are taking over really. Midi Olympique made, made a fair point a few weeks ago that they don't expect a revolt within in, in a civil war between the coach and the players to happen because if any player was seen to step out of line. They wouldn't just lose their position now for the Six Nations. They'd probably lose their position in the World Cup. And we've seen that example with the team selection to a certain extent. As Morgan Parra and Cameron Lopez, what they said, criticising the setup, saying that they needed to work, do a bit more work 
following that humiliation against England a fortnight ago. They're not even in the match actually 23, two of the most experienced players in the squad. Yeah, because it's it's kind of interesting because Scotland have even sort of a long time, even sort of Prever and Cotter in, back in the dark days, still talked very much about having the leadership group. So is that, you know, with France everyone are now talking is, about that being formalised. Yeah, it just seems it seems odd that France are now talking about that being formalised. Very, very bizarre. Um, there was a lot of reference to the 2015 World how they got smashed and New Zealand two points to 15 in their quarterfinal um, in Cardiff and how any comparisons with this team or has the team evolved. Mattia Bastereau actually said that if you take that result and you take England result, you can't really say that you, there's nothing, anything has changed in, the, in, the, in French national team rugby, which is kind of a fair point to a certain extent. There's a lot of responsibility and pressure has been put on Guillaume Girardot because if you look at the rest of the squad and the rest of the 23 um, matchday squads that Brunel has picked, it's not that experienced really. Yes, you've got Louis Picamol in there, but he, a lot of the French press don't seem to think that he's really stood up uh, for the national team throughout his career. They seem to be disappointed by his performance for Le Bleu. And then the amount of changing and inconsistency with selection that Brunel has um, applied over his uh, tenure just means that no one's really been able to settle apart from the likes of Girardot and the um, now famous vice-captain, even though we didn't know he was vice-captain, Sebastian Varmina. Yeah, because, I mean, even um, looking at the, I mean, the main sort of, I suppose the surprise for maybe people outside of France, because I know a couple of the papers in France had predicted this would happen, that the going with Dupont and, and Nittemarque at, 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 at um, scrum half and, and fly half seems a bit left field, I guess, because Nittemarque's not playing, even playing fly half for his team, is he? No, exactly. It's, it is definitely left field. Like There were there were reports starting the weekend, the end, towards the end of the weekend, that that, that would be the halfback for this weekend and it was proved right on Tuesday um, it's a really I can see the thought process to a certain extent because they want to give these youngsters a chance and give them time on the field because they're, they're two very talented players they're playing incredibly well uh, for Toulouse but they've only ever played together at halfback once and that was for Toulouse back in January 2018 in a, in a European Challenge Cup game against Sale um, and then um, you can't really doubt that Dupont is a scrum half. He's a solid scrum half. Um, seven tries in 11 games so far this season to, to, to lose. Um, but then Antimac is a fly half. It's a difficult one. He's only he's only played three games there this season for Toulouse out of his 18 appearances. So he might not be that settled in this season, but he was a fly half um, by trade and coming through the academy. He, was, he did wear the number 10 shirt on many occasions, including at last year's um, victorious under-20s World uh, Junior World Championship and only moved to centre because they wanted to get Toulon's Louis Carbonel in at, num- at fly half who plays with Toulon now. So it's um, definitely an interesting decision and it's a risky one because they've only got 13 tests between them. So once again, inexperience is going to could cost France very, very much. So. Yeah, I mean, is there is there any sense that, that France have sort of got got any form of plan or game plan <laughs> as such because it's you sort of look at the other teams in the six nations and you you can even with italy you kind of can see what they're trying to do 
and you know you kind of know what what Conor, Conor O'Shea is trying to do with Italy and, and the way you can kind of see the way he's trying to get them to play but with France it, it, I suppose with so many changes in the lineup and players being played out of position is is there any sort of noise coming out of the French camp that look we we, we do know what we're doing here there is a sort of uh, some method in our madness there's a lot of noise saying that, but we're yet to see it actually being applied. Okay, maybe in the first half against Wales, that opening 40 minutes was pretty impressive, but it still wasn't that structured. It still wasn't. It still wasn't something that you think, okay, that is what this Jack Brunel France side is like. Like you mentioned earlier, every other team in the Six Nations has like a playing identity. You you, you just think of, okay, Eddie Jones England. Now we know how they play. Incredibly intense, straight from the off. Wales Warren Gatland. No longer Warren Ball, um, thank God. But it's got an identity, and they, they they know how to play. They like to play a bit, but they, they they've got a solid pack as well. Scotland and Gregor Townsend, they they love to have a go, but they've got incredible. They've got a back row of minus injuries that could contest anyone in the world. Ireland, Ireland, second best team in the world. There's no doubting what they can do. And then Italy under Conor Shea, you can see something there that resembles um, a strategy. When with France, you're totally right, Cammy. That. Can you really tell? Can you really, really say we know where we're going? Because when an unnamed player comes out after the England um, debacle and says that they didn't know what they were doing on the field and they had to ask for instructions, there's got to be a problem there somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. Someone's a message is not getting through, or a message is not. Just- yeah, it's it's strange because I was looking at the stats for the the England and the Wales games and. In terms of possession and territory, they're there or thereabouts. They're not particular in terms of percentage of tackles made. They're not far off the teams they're playing against. So it's kind of hard to put. I mean, obviously you, you look at the results and you see the way they're playing, but it's kind of hard to work out what it what it it, it is. Is it just a, a case of they're not playing to the sum of their parts because they are, you know, they, they are making the territory and they are matching the teams for possession. So it's hard to know what it is that's going wrong and I suppose that's probably part of the problem I guess yeah stats like, like a lot of like um, sports reporting are only half the story it's definitely that case with England when the game England won the game after half an hour or so so anything that happened in the last 15, 50 minutes was almost irrelevant but then it could skew the, the, the statistics but then on the other side France played superbly in the opening 40 minutes against Wales and awful for definitely the last 20, if not the last second half as well. Um, but you're right, statistically, all seems above board to a certain extent, but you, you're just not seeing anything concrete from France. You're not seeing anything um, really positive that you can cling on to to a certain extent. OK, maybe that 40 minutes, something that uh, Jorn Uger said uh, on Tuesday, something to Pico said on Tuesday, Jefferson Poirot also said it, and Mathieu Bastogne for that fact, actually, that they have to they have to rely on that opening 45 minutes and 40 minutes from Wales. They have to use that display and take that in for it to be positive, etc., etc. But then, okay, it's great doing it for 40 minutes, but they haven't shown really any of that since then. And we're only giving them a match and a half against the very, very intense, impressive England side. But... France on Saturday against Scotland need to show something, need to give the what is potentially going to be a sold-out Stade Francais crowd something to cling on to, a bit of hope. Because at the moment, it just feels really, really empty, you know? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose the worry from a Scottish point of view is that, that we're almost playing France a week too late, if that, makes <laughs> sense, if that makes sense, because, you know, it's been 20 years since Scotland have won in Paris. If France have got their game together or, or are sort of have had the, the rest week to sort of pull themselves together a little bit, um, it, 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 is, it is worrying a little bit. I mean, it might just be the pessimist in me. Um, I think, you know, lots of people are tipping Scotland to, to win, but I am slightly wary of a France side that have had some time to try and work out what's going wrong, whether or not, like you said, that the, the internal structures are there to allow that, that sort of thought process to happen in any sort of coherent way is another thing, and we'll see on Saturday, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think they obviously are trying to put things the right, I think, put things right, otherwise... They wouldn't be professional sports people. They wouldn't be um, getting paid what they do as rugby players. But it needs to be seen, you know. And um, uh, I hope it does just for the sake, not just for the sake of um, French rugby, not just the sake of the Six Nations, but also for the sake of world rugby in general and also the, the, the World Cup um, at the end of the year. Because rugby needs a strong France. There's so much money pumped into rugby in France um, that if if that um, passion and that drive that has got the money there in the first place comes away because the national team aren't successful, then rugby would, would be a much poorer financially and much poorer generally uh, other place. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I suppose if we're seeing that, the, you know, France seemed quite directionless. And it was uh, Serge Betson was on, on Twitter at the weekend saying, you know, it's hard to sort of identify sort of any passion or sort of a sense of Frenchness, I suppose, again, about the current team. And you look at other the other um, five nations and, and they've all gone for foreign coaches and those foreign coaches have, to a certain extent, been the ones that have identified what it is about that country and that nation. I mean, Vern Cotter did it in Scotland and to a certain extent, Eddie Jones has done it in England uh, to a, you know, a greater extent now, apart from his sort of more recent blip. And you've had Warren Gatland in Wales and uh, you, you wonder whether or not I mean, I don't know whether France would ever consider whether or not France need that. They almost need an outsider to come in and say, this is the French way of playing. Someone like, I mean, my greatest worry is that France would get wise to that and would suddenly appoint someone like Vern Cotter, who would be perfect. Someone who's very, you know, entrenched in the French way of life to come along and actually turn them around. Do you think that that's ever likely to happen or or is it, are they very wedded to having a Frenchman in charge? Um, I think as Bernard Laporte said, that he's open for a, for a foreign coach to come in and lead France. Um, you're spot on there that a lot of teams have um, reaped the rewards of getting an outsider to come in, to tell them how to play or to show them what um, they're missing, but also to show them to, and to make them appreciate what they do have. And maybe that's something that France is doing because they've got incredibly talented players coming through academies. There's 30 professional and more, actually, professional club sides in France. So there's plenty of people playing rugby at a very high level, plenty of youngsters coming through. Um, but then why not have a go with a foreign coach? And you're right there, Vern Cotter, I think, would be the best happy medium France could hope for. He speaks French fluently. He's won the top four team with Clement. He's already had international um, coaching uh, coaching experience. He's well better than culturally um in France as well. So why not give him a go? But then would Moed Altrad free him up? 
But ironically, Modaltra, who owns Montpellier, he's also the main shirt sponsor of the French national team. So I'll let you figure out what, what you want to out of that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, turning to Scotland then, in, in from a France, over in France, is there, what, you know, are they, is all the focus in the press and, and the team there, is it all on France or is there sort of a focus on what's coming from Scotland this weekend, especially with, with Finn Russell being out now? Yeah, to a certain extent, there's a lot of, um, internal analysis, which is quite frustrating, um, especially if you're talking on a Scottish rugby podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but then um, they're not blind and they're not naive to what Scotland can bring. When it was announced this morning that Finn Russell was um, uh, ruled out, uh, the whole press room um, up in the French National Rugby Centre, really, like you could feel there was a bit, not a shock because we kind of expected it, but there was an element of like, wow, okay, it's happening. That could help us to a certain extent. But that's mainly because of he's playing in France and he's playing very well in France. And the same goes for Greg, Greg Laidlaw. He was superb for uh, Clermont on the, week, on the weekend. Absolutely fantastic. He's in, um, just such a, an impressive player. He's um, third on the top 14 top points uh, scorers list. And... He's fantastic. He's properly settled into France, and he's the archetypal French from half, just that he comes from Scotland. Yeah. Um, and Clément love him because of his passion and his drive and the success he's bringing to the season with him, second in the league, and they've also got a home Challenge Cup quarterfinal to look forward to. And regarding that, yes, those two are key people. Um, the French are a bit gutted that they're not going to be able to see Stuart Hogg and Hugh Jones play, which is... Uh, pretty uh, sad as well but expected because they are incredibly talented players but elsewhere yeah they don't know much about them really sadly but maybe that's because they don't watch too much rugby especially domestic rugby outside of France yeah it's kind of surprising because I was thinking about you look at sort of how Edinburgh have done in Europe this year against two I mean it's obviously it's not a classic Toulon side at the at the moment but but certainly against Montpellier and some of even some of the players that you know a lot of people who follow Scottish rugby, but, but maybe not a pro level. Um, you know the likes of James Johnston and um, Chris Dean, and you know where the Ember Pack have obviously gone toe to toe with two, um, you know, two big French packs. And then you've got Glasgow who've beaten Leon home and away with Adam Hastings playing fly half. So it, it's 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 a strange position to be in, I suppose, from a Scottish point perspective, because I think we're so used to um, feeling inferior to. To, to French teams when we've played them in Europe but, but we really seem to have got the upper hand um, this year and I don't know what to make of that I don't know if that's a good sign or a, or a, or a bad sign and it's it's interesting that that's maybe not been picked up so much in France Yeah, it's um, um, from the, the four players put up for interviews um, today and uh, all four of them when they were asked about Scotland Th- uh, three out of the four, I'm pretty sure, mentioned how the the Scottish clubs had fared in Europe this season. Someone said, "Oh, the Warriors," and I was like, "Okay, that probably means Glasgow." <laughs> and then um, someone praised Edinburgh's efforts as well. So it, yeah, it hasn't gone unnoticed, especially among uh, the French players. And then regarding the French press, it was quite interesting. I was speaking to someone who works for Being Sport, who are the um, uh, they broadcast the European Cup here in Europe, and he was telling me that he he 
covered some Glasgow games and was really impressed by Adam Hastings. And when I said, oh, Finn, Scotland won't be the same without Finn Russell, he was like, no, I think they could be all right with Adam Hastings. So there's, there's a certain element of interest in there. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the interesting thing now, I suppose, now now that, in a way, Scotland know what's coming um, at, at scrum half and ten, whether I think uh, if France hadn't announced the team so early, I might have thought that they might have gone more with Horn or maybe even um, Duncan Weir, who's been called into the squad this week. But I kind of think that if, if, if he's going to give Hastings a run at ten, and I think Adam Hastings is the kind of player that... that um, Townsend once I think this is going to be good the game to do it in where you pitch two inexperienced fly halves against each other but Hastings has the benefit of having laid law outside of him with the experience yeah it's um Hastings and Antomac do play a very similar game Antomac's played more 12 but um they both um have lovely hands superb passes less flat but floating passes you know they can pass them almost across field intelligent kicking game and they also they, they play really really flat so if both of them do play it it would be quite it could be in for a very entertaining afternoon and realistically what's Townsend got to lose he knows that the player opposing Hastings isn't that experienced nor is the Glasgow fire so why not chuck him in give him a go 90,000 French fans 55,000 free tricolore flags being given out. What's he got to lose? So they're handing out free French flags on Saturday, are they? Yeah, 55,000. So um, if you're Scottish and you're heading to Paris, I would take a Scottish flag. (laughs) They're not being subject to uh, fire safety tests like at Leicester, are they? Uh, No, no, no. (laughs) Funnily not. They're not. (laughs) In terms of then this... I mean, it's it's a hard game to call this weekend. I mean, I... My my head my head actually says that I it's going to be tight. My heart says that Scotland are going to probably probably have a have an easier um, day of it than 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 they might have done uh, maybe even a couple of years ago. But I, my head thinks this is probably going to be tight, but only if France have have spent the two weeks pulling themselves together. <laughs> they've they've pulled themselves together, but I don't know how much. I don't think if, if they pulled themselves together enough if you know what I mean um it's funny someone asked me earlier in the week what my I thought my prediction was actually a colleague who's whose father is from um from Glasgow and and his mum's from Bézier in the south of France so he's got feet in both camps um and he asked me what I thought the, what prediction was really this was before Finn Russell's ruled out and I said if Russell's fit Scotland by 10 to 12 if he's not France will just edge it but um, a bit of romance for me. I was looking back at that 99 game and it was a lovely spring afternoon in February under some lovely Parisian uh, sunshine. France were in the white, Scotland were in their home shirt. And if you look at the, the forecast for this Saturday's afternoon, it's going to be 13 degrees mm. in Paris, pro- probably sunny. Um, same sort of kit set of that really, I think, is so iconic. France home in white, and Scotland in the, in the dark blue navy. Um, and there's just something in me that just tells tells me, twenty years on, Scotland are going to do it. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, Scotland have been it, it, it it's been coming for Scotland. I think a, a big away win, and I think if it's going to happen, it's going to be this weekend. And if it doesn't, then Scotland have got some real real problems playing away from home. Because if you can't beat this French side, then um, I don't know if they're ever going to win away from home. Quite quite honestly. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. I think Gregor Townsend has got his, has got his house in order. I think, but then you're right. Like 
a big away win for a team developing quite young and experienced and sort of like it's the, the squad being together. A big away win is a massive thing for a lot of squads, be those clubs or franchises or provinces or regions in Europe or in the domestic league, but also international sides. And then, yeah, you never know what Scotland could do if they do manage to win this weekend. It could be a proper like trampoline to a certain extent to boost them further up um, and further develop them and under Gregor Townsend. Yeah, and a bit of an unknown quantity in the referee. It's Nick Berry, who I think Scotland had against Samoa um, last autumn. Um, so quite yeah, a new. Yeah, saw that. Sort of announced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so quite I'm a new, quite, quantity. quite an, I suppose, an, un, an unknown quantity for both both sides. So, but then having a having a former player as a referee for some reason the the game just feels like it flows a little bit better. And um, Glenn Jackson and, and Frank Murphy are two superb officials, and whenever you watch them play, um, the advantage gets played for just about long enough. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And um, and scrum halves. Are free to take quick taps when they want to, especially in Frank Murphy's case because he, he loved the little <laughs> sniper these days. And then also they don't stand for any sort of like back chat either because they know what it was like on the field and how much back chat they were. They just they just they just got that little element of being a little bit more in tune, a little bit more ingrained to what goes on in a rugby field that you don't get from a a career referee. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Um, we'll move on then. We're going to do our um, any other business section of the podcast, um, which is our. It's called Hands in the Rock. Now we've had a, one um, submission today, which was um, on Twitter, um, which I'm just trying to find it now. It's, um, uh, forgive me, I can't remember who it was. Said, um, "Can we please stop with the conspiracy theories that um, Finn Russell was deliberately targeted?" <laughs> at the weekend, um, I think we can all put that down to bad technique on his part. To be honest, yeah, yeah. it was tough. Place. It was actually his head and the knee on the Toulouse winger, and I've forgotten what his name was. Yeah, it looked really inconspicuous, and he walked off fine. But then they showed some f- footage of him sitting in the change rooms, and you could just tell by his face and the way that he's put, he's rubbing his face with his hand, that um, it didn't look too promising. No, no, it didn't. Um, I asked you to prepare one. What, what, what's your hands in the ruck this week? Oh, it's such a difficult one to think about, isn't it? It really is, because there's so much that I could go off on one, you know what I mean? <laughs> there's also so much um, that I could praise as well. But I think I might just go for the, for the lack of pan au chocolats at uh, the French press team announcement this week. Because I picked up a nice pan au raisin on the way there, lovely one from my local bakery good price one euros 40 can't complain it was still hot which is always a bonus and then i got to marcusi and i thought i'm in for a really good pan of chocolate this morning but no it wasn't the case so um if anyone from the french rugby federation are listening <laughs> That's, the, yeah. next, the, the coffees and orange juices were perfect but a pan of chocolate would make life even better yeah yeah um well mine is uh the general complaining uh that there has been about the quality of rugby in the off week i i i think it's probably mainly come about the the, the ospreys ulster game which was pretty dire but the, the ember and glasgow games were, were, were particularly entertaining mainly the glasgow one because uh glasgow and cardiff just seemed to have an agreement that neither side was going to defend for 80 minutes um so yeah that was mine um what what you could add on to this, the, the you know the health fact that the 
quality of rugby was poor was um, people tweeting quite big Twitter accounts and social media profiles um, tweeting on the weekend saying, oh, there's no rugby this weekend. What are you going to do? Especially the Guinness Six Nations account saying, oh, what, what are you going to do with your weekend with no with no rugby this weekend? And the amount of replies that that one tweet got from people just saying, whoa, 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 there's far more rugby than just what you get for, for five weekends in the spring. It was quite impressive from the rugby online community, but at the same time, it's still disappointing to see people who get paid to follow rugby ignoring anything below the international level and that might play into the focus that it was a bad game okay Osprey's Ulster was horrendous yes <laughs> but um if, if, if they'd be more positive about it and saying oh there is don't forget there is more rugby this weekend maybe they would have got more people watching or following it and the crowd yeah. would have caused better atmosphere or I don't know and, and it's a perfect opportunity you would think to sort of say to people get down your local club as well it's a, a massive missed opportunity from you know marketing rugby as a as a sport to say there's no rugby what are you going to do rather than saying there's no rugby this weekend but get down to your local club or turn on the telly there's plenty yeah like here's a map of all the games like an, an interactive map they've got these companies have got lo- loads of money and um, funds for their marketing campaigns and stuff just create like an, an interactive map with every game that's going on on that weekend and give them a like someone like guinness give them like a a token saying if you present this at your local clubhouse you get a free pint of guinness or pint of water or whatever a, free know, pint you know? of, a guinness clear that they're marketing this year <laughs> ah okay yeah that tasty stuff that that's lovely that is isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah i think i think needs more needs to be done at the international level to support the domestic level. No, I would completely agree with that. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us. It's been uh, wonderful having you, Ilkid. Um Hopefully we'll get you back on again at some point. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been superb. It's been, sorry there wasn't too much Scotland input from the French perspective, but the French, the France national team are in such a shambles or a bordel, as the French would say. Um, I think they rightly concerned about their own getting their own house in order as opposed to looking over in Scotland. Well, do you know what? It's quite nice to have the focus off Scotland slightly as well. I think that plays <laughs> into Scotland's hands. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining you. We'll uh, speak to you again soon. No problem at all. Thank you very much. That's it from us this week. Um, a quick thank you to Marianne Strother who got in touch with a wee um, Where's Doogie Dolly entry uh, via Facebook. Um, she said she saw Jim Hamilton at Costa Coffee at Tesco Collington, Mains. She said it was very random. He was delightful and I am delighted. Um, so um, if you've seen anybody out and about, do get in touch. Uh, don't forget, if you check out the blog, you can join our fantasy league uh, through Super Blue um, that we're doing during the Six Nations. Um, so get involved in that. Otherwise, we will be back next week to review the France game. And from now, it's goodbye from me.